Welcome to the Helping Children Thrive podcast, where we talk about ways to improve your child's health and recovery. I'm your host, Momina Selim, and I'm a certified pediatric functional medicine health coach. At Helping Children Thrive, it is our aim to educate and empower parents and practitioners with integrative approaches to children's health conditions. Along with this hope that our children can recover, I welcome you all. Hi, everyone. On today's show, we talk about sensory processing disorder in children. Children with sensory processing disorder, or SPD, have issues and great difficulty processing and acting upon information received through their senses. SPD isn't a true diagnosis yet because it's not a standalone diagnosis in the DSM-5. However, most children with autism have it and many others with ADHD, ADD, PANS, PANDAS, and Lyme's disease have it. It can also be a standalone disorder, meaning that a child is over or under sensitive to lights, sounds, motions, tastes, smells, and more. The good news is that children can recover from it. And Maria, our guest today, is a great example of someone that made that happen for her sons. Maria Rickett Hong is a certified holistic health counselor who specializes in helping parents make dietary and lifestyle changes for children with sensory processing disorder, autism, ADHD, allergies, asthma, autoimmune, and more. She's the author of Almost Autism, Recovering Children from Sensory Processing Disorder, a reference for parents and practitioners. She's also a co-author of Epidemic Answers Brain Under Attack, a resource for parents and caregivers of children with PANS, PANDAS, and autoimmune encephalitis. Let's get into the show. Hi, Maria. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is great. Um, so I like to start off um, our interviews by just kind of asking what got you in this whole space of biomedical healing or being a health coach? What got mm-hmm. you started? Yeah, I didn't used to be this way for sure. I used to work on Wall Street. I was an equity research analyst for investment banks and I quit when my first son was born and I'm glad that I did because he had a whole lot of health problems. Um, you know, I did what the doctors told me and by the time he was two years old, maybe three, he was on about 10 different medications. Wow. (laughs) And, you know, I just went along with it and said, okay, that's what it is. And it wasn't until, I mean, I had had some red signs, uh, and soft signs and red flags before that, but it was really when he was about three and a half years old that um, my son had a really bad asthma attack. And I had been seeing a naturopath for myself because I was, my health had really gone downhill um, once I started, well, once my boys were a little bit older and they really started showing all these other signs of sensory issues and whatever. And it was just, it's a lot to deal with. Um, And I had really good success with the naturopath and he explained to me about root causes and how diet is key to um, recovering your health. And my son had that asthma attack and I thought, well, you know what? He's my naturopath has helped me. Let me take my son and see what he could do. And first thing he says is cut out the dairy. And we'd been to a gastroenterologist uh, who never mentioned anything about food. Um, 
you know, the pediatrician just had him on Prevacid and Pediasure plus all the other medications like Miralax for the constipation caused by those two. <laughs> and then uh, had taken him to an allergist at Mount Sinai in New York City. And the allergist, you know, tested him for dairy and said he wasn't allergic to it. And so I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense, but okay, I'll try. I'll cut off the dairy. And I cut out the dairy. His asthma got better. He stopped throwing up after every meal like he used to. He started gaining weight, even though I was told by my pediatrician to, you know, just stuff as much dairy and cheese and you know, junk food, literally, I was told to give him junk food. Uh, he had a prescription for Pediasure, which is crap. Now I know. Uh, and he was just so much better very quickly. And I thought, okay, I'm really on to something. So that was the big eye opener for me. Yeah, you know, I, f- I feel like there's so many parents that are going through that same um, journey as you right that whole situation of having so many conditions that their children are having or, or soft signs, like, like you mentioned, right. That they, their kids that are born with constant reflux. Um, and then, you know, it becomes into skin issues and becomes an asthma, like you said, for your son and, and other sensory issues. And they're finding it really hard to make sense of all of them. Right. Mm-hmm. How, at what point did you realize that they were similarities to, or that there was like a a pattern to everything that was happening? You know, it was, it was really, like I said, working with the naturopath for myself, because he had started to educate me about food causes and diet. Um, And I had also had a couple of other eye-opening things for my own health that really uh, made me understand, at least initially, a little bit about what was going on. And and I think it's unusual, I think, because most parents get into this first because of their kids. I got into this first because of myself. <laughs> so, Because my son was waking me up at six times, you know, six times during the night. And uh, I don't do well if I don't get my sleep. And so my health had started to go downhill. I developed ovarian cysts and uterine fibroids, uh, fibrocystic breasts. Um, I had shingles twice. I got bronchitis, which I'd never had. Uh, I had this horrible poison ivy rash that wouldn't go away. And I went to my doctor and she gave me steroids and I didn't want to do it, but I took it. And um, it made the rash go away. But the six days of the steroids, you know, as soon as that was up, the rash came back. And I'm like, I can't live like this. But I was so miserable that I couldn't sleep. And, you know, I wasn't sleeping well anyway. And uh, so I Googled natural, um, natural poison IV remedy or something like that. And that pops, pops up a little um, thing for Roost Toxicondrin, which is homeopathic poison IV. And so I went down to Whole Foods, which is a you know, health food store here, and got a little blue vial of these sugar pellets that have homeopathic um, remedies in them. And it's actually a very, very tiny amount of poison ivy itself, which sounds horrible, but within 15 minutes, my rash went away. And I'm like, what? <laughs> this is incredible. Yeah. And then, then the other thing was the middle of the night insomnia that I had that was really causing a lot of this um, just because it's so stressful not to get any sleep 
that I would wake up at one in the morning and not be able to go back to sleep till like four or five in the morning. And then I'm just dragging all day long and I had severe adrenal fatigue, which sort of exacerbated all these other things. Like I would get a cold and I'd be sick for three weeks and then I'd get a, an infection on top of that. It's just horrible. Yeah. And, and think, um, yeah. And I think you bring up a really important um, question that, you know, that we have for, for parents, a lot of these parents that are taking care of children with um, chronic illnesses or with like, you know, neurodevelopmental disorders, it takes a huge toll on, on them, right? Because they almost stop taking care of themselves. Um, yes. And, and the, the toll and, and the demand that it has on them is just so huge that it it's, um, you know, th their health starts slipping as well. So in addition to having to care for a child who has a lot of needs, they mm -hmm. themselves find them find themselves in, in a point where, you know, it's just, they're struggling. And they're like, like you said, dragging themselves all day long. Mm -hmm. um, and again, this whole idea of, of trying to get answers, but not really getting them right. So either for your child or for yourself, and then mm -hmm. just going from one place to another, trying to see whatever works. And, you right. know, and, and that's where solutions, like you said, looking at, at, at homeopathy, or, or looking to a, a naturopath for mm -hmm. answers outside of the box are really what, what is helping, right? Um, how did that help your son, right? Apart from just like, the just taking out dairy how how did that help you kind of frame what was happening with him well I understood from my own problem with middle of the night insomnia and then a severe adrenal fatigue that it had a lot to do with the magnesium deficiency who knew <laughs> right so I started taking magnesium and I went back to my uh, another doctor who had given me Ambien and Zoloft to help me sleep through the night and neither one of those helped I started taking magnesium and I started sleeping through the night. And I'm like, holy cow, people need to know about this, right? So I thought, well, interesting. And then I learned more about adrenal fatigue. There's a really good book called, I think it's Adrenal Fatigue, the 21st Century Syndrome. And um, James Wilson, I want to say, uh, wrote it. He's a doctor. And he wrote a lot about, you know, taking out inflammatory foods, sugar being the biggest one. Uh, and how the body really needs minerals. Then I started taking all these cooking classes in Manhattan at the uh, Natural Gourmet Institute, which is no longer around, unfortunately. Um, but I had taken a class there from Andrea Beeman and she taught um, actually a few classes I took from her. One was about adrenal fatigue and adrenal health. And the other was about thyroid health and the Two of those things are very much linked together, but you got to take care of the adrenals first. And so knowing what I knew from learning about that, it really became important to me to help take care of the adrenals, because if you can't take care of your adrenals for yourself, you know, if you have a child that has a chronic health condition, you're just not going to be able to handle stress. And if the body is stressed, it will not be able to heal. So that's really key. <laughs> And it's, it's, it's really looking back down to the, the building blocks that our body needs, right, to function. Mm -hmm. It's not really putting a bandaid on it by giving you a prescription medication, hoping right. it's going to work, which I right. don't know how long it did work for. But then li literally going back to seeing, like, this is the way the body works. There's probably mm -hmm. some 
part that's missing or there's just, you know, it's like, it's like an engine of a car. If, if something breaks down, it's just not going to work. And I think right. the same concept applies to, to parents of, of children with conditions, but even those children as well, right? That there's mm-hmm. something in their body that is just, is not functioning optimally the way that it needs to. Yes, exactly. And it's, yeah, it's not just nutritional deficiencies, but it could be gut dysbiosis and immune dysregulation and inflammation and hormonal imbalances. It could be something structural. Uh, It could be neurological damage that happened because of birth trauma. That's actually very common for kids on the spectrum or kids with neurodevelopmental disorders, my son included, right? So all sorts of things. Yeah. And and you call, um, you, you call your son and other kids like that in your book, you call them almost having autism, right? So yeah. can you just kind of talk about that? Where did that word come from and, and what that really means for a lot of these children? Yeah, I didn't coin it. <laughs> <laughs> I just stay, uh, shamelessly stole it from whoever was that uh, made it right. to begin it's with. Great term, though. It is, it really is. Um, he didn't have aut- autism. Uh, autism is typically where you have the social dysfunction and maybe a communication problem, Mm -hmm. um, as well as developmental delays and sensory issues. So my son had excellent language. In fact, he spoke, I wrote it down because he wasn't, he didn't walk until he was 20 months old, (laughs) which is really late. That's a severe developmental delay. Um, A thousand word vocabulary by the time he turned two and he, was speaking multiple words in a sentence by the time he turned to. So the communication piece was there. The social piece wasn't there so much because he was physically developmentally delayed and he was still doing the parallel play with other kids when other kids were starting to interact with each other. So he was, you know, somewhat socially delayed because of that. Um, But he really had the sensory issues. And so I, I look at almost autism as being, you know, akin to sensory processing disorder, right? So sensory processing disorder is not a standalone diagnosis in the DSM-5, which is the diagnostic and statistical manual that psychiatrists use. Um, It sort of gets rolled up into autism, but you can have kids like my son who have sensory processing disorder without having autism. But there's a lot of overlap. And what I try to tell parents is don't get hung up on the label. You know, because a lot of people want to say, oh, well, my kid has autism or my kid doesn't have autism, even though they might. Right. And so it's um, you have to understand that all the root causes, there's a lot of overlap in the root causes. And it affects every child a little bit differently, depending on what they've been exposed to, um, you know, the condition of the mother when, you know, even before you got pregnant with your child, um, what kind of foods, what kind of stressors all sorts of things. So everybody's a little bit different and uh, it's going to show up a little bit differently from child to child. Yeah. And, you know, just like how you said, it's such a long sliding, um, you know, with, with SPD or with sensory processing disorder, there are kids Mm -hmm. that might be sensory seekers. So then there'll be some kids that are avoiders. And so such a big range um, and trying to like hone in on one particular thing might not really do or might not help as much as kind of looking back into root causes, right? What right. are some of those root causes that parents with kids 
who have um, either, you know, heightened sensory needs or reduced sensory needs? Like what should they be looking at? Um, root causes, I would say, go back to the birth. Initially, that's, that's when a lot of it starts. Um, there is a page on our Epidemic Answers website. It's called Birth, Comma, and Developmental Delays, I think. And it says, it's written by an osteopathic doctor. And she said something like 80% of kids with a neurodevelopmental disorder had some form of birth trauma. Birth trauma being cesarean section, um, below APGAR score, um, you know, complications, you know, could be something really drastic like forceps, mm-hmm. um, you know. Um, and so my own son, <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> I would just say if I ever had a kid again, I would not do it in a hospital. I would have a home birth because you definitely raise your risk of complications and trauma. The more intervention is done. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so, you know, when you talk about some of like, forceps deliveries or, or others even uh, is should parents be looking at cranial sac- sacral therapy or things yeah. like that you know just going mm-hmm. trying to get their kids looked at like um, I, I speak to a lot of parents and like oh our kid never breastfed or or right. didn't match correctly and those kinds of right. things and and the first thing that I kind of think about is did you get them checked out did you get them looked at to see whether everything mm-hmm is in the alignment that it needs to be. Is that kind of like what you're alluding to that parents look at, at for, for birth trauma or does that go beyond that? Well, it goes beyond that because a lot of times there can be um, retained reflexes that should integrate but don't because of the trauma, because the trauma can cause neurological damage. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a problem. It can also cause gut dysbiosis, especially if a child is born by a C-section rather than vaginally, mm-hmm. um, that can be a problem. So, you know, there's multiple ways that all this happens, right? Yeah. 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 And, and it's important kind of for parents to know that they can go, they have multiple options to explore, right? Mm-hmm. Not just, um, trying to, to, you know, just either accept it or, or not, like, there are things that these kids can do. And then I think even on the Epidemic Answers website, there's so many um, cases and of, of kids who've actually recovered, right? Yes. Your, your son being one of them, who yes. through like, through the correct care, which can have many, um, many supporting legs, what I like to say, it, it has like a biomedical, like a nutritional approach, but it also has therapy and it has, like you said, looking at like, say, an, an osteopath for, for that support mm-hmm. and other things, looking at these various um, interventions to see how you can support them. Exactly. What were some of those that, that you um, sought out for your son? You know, those who wanted <laughs> What to- didn't I do? Yeah. <laughs> Almost. I think I've done just about most of them. Um, let's see, initially it was occupational therapy and that was what allowed me to understand that he actually did have sensory processing disorder and that he did, um, he was a few standard deviations away from normal as far as his development. So that was really helpful. And from that, we went to an aquatic occupational therapist who taught me about retained reflexes, which are it's sort of a, you know, different programs, <laughs> the way that the neurological system is designed um, to 
appear and then disappear. But the problem is, is that if, a, if you have somebody with neurological damage, a lot of times those reflexes don't disappear. They are retained. Yeah. And so that can be a problem. And she, she worked with him to some degree, not completely, but to some degree to work on um, some of his retained reflexes. Um, we did cranial sacral therapy, like you mentioned, worked with a chiropractor. Um, if I had known better, I would have taken my newborn baby to a chiropractor, a cranial sacral therapist and, or an osteopath like right away. Yeah. But I didn't know. So, you know, playing catch up all these years. Um, what else do we do? We did dietary interventions, uh, cutting out dairy was the biggest lever for us to move. And then that, uh, removed gluten. Uh, I went hundred percent organic. Um, I cooked all of my food, you know, for the whole family for quite a few years there. I've backed off of it now because they're teenagers. Um, I did the GAPS diet for a couple of years. Um, then we did, I'm trying to think we did, uh, brain balance. And that was actually really, really helpful. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's a little bit of a cookie cutter approach, but if they look at the most common retained reflexes that interfere with the child's function and academic success yeah. and measure the retained reflexes before as, as well as their um, sensory uh, issues, like how they are on a level with their peers and where they should be. And then they also, I don't know if they still do, but they used to administer uh, an, an intelligence evaluation. It was called the WASI, the Wexler Abbreviated Standard Intelligence Test, I think it's called. And there are all these different little sub-levels of intelligence. And this was in fifth grade. It's a three-month program. Um, they do you know, a little bit of audio, uh, auditory therapy, I think a little bit of vision therapy, and then mostly work on the retained reflexes. Three months, and then um, afterwards they do a follow-up test, you know, the same thing to see how much your child has improved or not. And it was uh, amazing how much he improved. He went from fifth grade level academically to like sophomore college level within three months. So it didn't make him smarter. It just opened up his brain (laughs) to be able to to access uh, what it should be. So that was big. And from that, I went ahead and did uh, vision therapy all by itself um, just to make sure we did that because a lot of these kids with neurodevelopmental disorders have convergence um, problems with their eyes teaming and tracking. Um, We also did an auditory therapy We've done neurofeedback, (laughs) you know, we've, we've done homeopathy, worked with a nature path, um, um, had them treated for pans, pandas, Lyme disease, all sorts of things. So it's, uh, it's a lot, (laughs) you know, it is a lot, but it's, it's really about trying to find that answer, you know, one little bit at a time, finding Mm -hmm. a resource that can help them. I, I think what I, I, I want to provide hope to parents that are listening that, you know, it's possible, but it doesn't have to be all at once. It needs to be something that you're working on. You know, a lot of parents that speak to, they're like, Oh, how soon can we see these changes? You know, Mm -hmm. you know, just by, just by nutritional um, 
interventions, you might see some changes. Even that will right. take some time. But just the it, it takes a while and it takes multiple um, approaches to actually get them where they are. Like like your yeah. son, he's he's a teenager now. You have mm -hmm. been working on him consistently for years and years to kind of get him where he's at now, right? Mm -hmm. So it's about yes. almost it's like having the endurance to go through all of that, but yes. having that end goal and that faith that, that you will be able to cure them if you know in, in some cases. Or yeah, it's not a, it's not a guarantee, but definitely what the condition yeah. is. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's definitely a process, and uh, you know, unfortunately, I wish that I had had a book like mine, <laughs> the almost autism book, or even the brain under attack book that we wrote yeah. at Epidemic Answers, um, just to give parents a resource for you know a that recovery is possible, and b here's how you could be able to do it. Uh, the frustrating thing for me and most moms out there, especially when they're talking to their husbands about, okay, we need a lot of money. It's not covered by insurance to pay for all this is, you know, the husbands want a guaranteed result and yeah. it's, it's not the case. You just don't know how the child is going to respond. Yeah. Personally, I think most things do help, uh, but not, not everything moves the needle and it's going to, you know, what moves the needle for my kid is not going to be the same that moves the needle for yours. Yeah. But I will say that diet is the, the biggest thing you have to uh, improve the diet, change the diet for anybody to recover from any kind of chronic health condition. You just don't do it unless you do. So it's, it's almost that, that trigger, right? Um, addressing it at its root cause, which is constantly causing that inflammation, which is driving um, the imbalances, start at the core of it all, and then take it out from there to address other mm -hmm. things. Um, yeah. But also, I think I, I love that that you talk about the, the need to have a very bio-individual approach, right? So mm -hmm. not to no two kids, even if they're siblings, even if they're twins, they're yes. never going to be the same, right? And they yeah. will have a very, very different um, trajectory to, to, to recovery or even to show improvement from mm -hmm. one therapy to the next. So it's yep. just kind of sticking with it and, and going with the hope that it will work, um, right. right? And so... Mm -hmm. When, when you talk about SPD, right? So, we, you know, it, that's something that a lot of parents are now trying to, um, trying to understand and trying to, to make sense of once their kids are a few years old and they're starting to pick up certain behaviors and they're like, okay, you know what it looks like? Um, mm -hmm. Like, you know, Johnny doesn't like to go in a room that's very noisy. But mm -hmm. when you sit down and start talking to them, they are um, behaviors that they say, oh, you know what, I wish I'd pick them up earlier, like when he was only a few months old, right? How yeah. can we, what can we tell parents to, to look out for in like the earlier months mm -hmm. and the earlier years that can kind of help give them a jumpstart to, yeah. to these things? Yeah, that's, that's really key. Because I mean, like I said, I had a bunch of red flags and soft signs at the beginning, but this is my first child. And you know, I got a lot of pushback from the pediatricians. They're like, Oh, don't worry. He's fine. He's fine. You know, he'll grow out of it. All the kids 
developed differently. He's a boy. You're just a neurotic mother. And then in, you know, 18 months, he lost weight, even though I've been telling him that he's throwing up <laughs> every single meal before then. So yeah, um, it's so important for a mom to listen to your intuition and to not take no for an answer. And if you get a doctor that gives you pushback, doesn't want to work with you, remember that you're a customer, you go find yourself another doctor. And that's why we have our practitioner directory because we have practitioners that will work with you. And uh, I know you're in Dubai. There are a lot of practitioners who will do, especially these days, will do teleconsultations, you know, via Zoom or doxy.me or whatever. You know, telemedicine is, I think, here to stay. And that's great. Um, But we want to look at those soft signs, right? So um, for my son, started with the projectile vomiting. Uh, my younger son had problems latching on, right? He had problems nursing. That's actually a sign of a tongue tie, which can be a sign of a, you know, something that should be taken a look at by an osteopath or maybe a chiropractor. It's a structural problem. A lot of times caused by a genetic defect. Um, what else? Uh, developmental delays are huge, right? So my son was able to, at three months of age, he was so strong, you could stand him up against something. Uh, and he, he would stand up at three months, right? And he would also sit up if he was supported. Yet he was really strong. Yet by the time he was six months old, he could not sit up on his own. He had to be like held up with something. He had become a floppy baby. So that's another one of those soft signs, hypotonia, loss of muscle tone. That's a big one. And because of that, he had developmental delays further. So when he crawled, he crawled backwards when he was eight months, when he crawled forward, you know, a couple of weeks later, it was army crawling on his belly. And he did that till he was 19 months old, which is a problem because it means he just doesn't have that core strength to be able to pick himself up. What is a good sign of good neurodevelopmental um, change by a child is to do the cross crawling or creeping on the hands and knees, which he only did for about a week before he started to walk. And if that isn't, if they don't do that cross crawling, then the uh, nervous system does not get integrated well into the body. So the body and the brain are kind of disconnected. And that's why you have you know, doctors thought like Dr. Robert Malillo, who wrote the book, Disconnected Kids. It's a great book. Yeah. Um, he also developed the brain balance program to help these kids, right? So those are some of the soft signs. Others would be chronic constipation, which he had chronic diarrhea or explosive diarrhea, which he had, you know, doctors will say, oh, it's toddler diarrhea. No, it's a problem. Yeah. Um, your kid, kid should be pooping every day. Don't let them tell you that any different, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Excuse me. The description of Marilax for constipation. Yeah, he was on it for years. And if you look at the label, which I'm guessing none of those pediatricians ever did, it says not for long-term use and it can cause neurological damage. It's polyethylene glycol, which is essentially antifreeze. Like nobody should be on this stuff. Uh, Tylenol is a no-no also. Nobody should be on that. Excuse me a second. Mm. So, um, projectile vomiting, acid reflux, 
um, a lot of gastrointestinal issues you'll see with babies. You'll see babies with colic. Um, then there's eczema, which he had, right? And that's because the skin is the largest, body's largest organ of detoxification. And that's trying to tell you something's wrong here, right? So don't just put cortisone cream on it like I did and I was told to think that it'll go away. It's the body's way of saying there's something wrong here. Usually starts with the gastrointestinal system, uh, which is usually the, you know, the intestines uh, that are off, but it could be, you know, something with the pancreas. Maybe they don't have enough digestive enzymes. Usually has something to do with the liver. The liver's um, backed up. These kids are born toxic these days, which, you know, I've had my pediatricians poo-poo, but it's been documented, you know, quite a few times. Um, <clears throat> some of the other soft signs are red cheeks and ears after eating, dark circles under the eyes, uh, chronic ear infections, or even maybe even one ear infection, uh, chronic runny nose, um, all sorts of things. But those are those are the basic ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and you know when you think about it, you think it's it's a long exhaustive list, but mm -hmm. it's actually happening. It's you know when you look at a lot of the kids that that come to get help with parents who just don't have answers anymore. These things mm -hmm. are happening, and they're layering on top. You yes. know when you sit down to get like a history of these children, that is when it dawns on a lot of parents of the number of things that their kids have actually gone through. Yeah. Um, and, and it just, you know, the, I, I find it fascinating how for a minute they just kind of stop and they think of all of that. Because they've just been so busy yeah. fighting fires, right? Almost mm -hmm. like, you know, colic, then reflux, then eczema, then, you know, just constipation and, and all of those things. Um, you, you might have some parents very casually say oh my kid didn't didn't crawl and very very proudly saying he went straight to walking right and you're that like happens a lot yeah <laughs> that happens a lot and you're like well you know what that's actually not something that we would recommend or mm -hmm. that you know it's something that requires work then if, if that mm -hmm. has happened but it, but it's interesting to see you know all of these things and, and they're showing up more and more in our kiddos. And so, like you said, these kids are, are being born toxic. And mm -hmm. I kind of wanted to, to get into that a little bit about why this is happening to them, right? Why are our kids coming into this world with like a total load, right? Why are they just full of toxins? Yeah. Uh, well, I hate to say it, but it comes from the mother. I'm not trying to blame moms out there, um, but there was, was it a Swedish study? I'm trying to remember that said something like the first child gets the toxic dump from the mother. And there's a saying that says, you know, if a, <clears throat> a woman wants to detoxify, the best way to do it is to have a baby uh, because <laughs> we're not taking care of ourselves before we're having kids. We're under very stressful lives. And it's not just us. It's being given to us from our moms and our grandmothers and all the way back from when I guess you know the industrial revolution happened started yeah. right and so it just compounds it's like it's the same reason why you're told not to eat big fatty fish like tuna because the toxins will bioaccumulate in the fat <clears throat> that's why you'd want to eat excuse me <clears throat> something like krill you know which is teeny tiny 
or maybe anchovies or um, sardines or something like that if you're going to eat fish because it's small and it hasn't had a chance to bioaccumulate. But it's the same thing with us too. And if we're not taking steps to correct the, um, the load that we're being given and then being exposed to ourselves, we're just going to pass it on to our kids. Yeah. And the thing is their, their bodies are so tiny, right? They're just not mm-hmm. able to, to detox the way that, that they need to. And then in addition to being in that state of already having so many toxins in their body, just mm-hmm. the, just the, you know, if a small child has reflux and those kinds of things, they're not eating what they really need to eat. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to have nutritional imbalances that are going to further, um, you know, get them down that, that road of just not being able to get that, you know, to to detox in essence, right, and, and really nourish their body. So it's just like Mm -hmm. a cycle that keeps perpetuating, it started off from like in utero, and then moving on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, just kind of going from there. One of the things that, that you spoke about was, was gut dysbiosis and something that we didn't really get into too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, when you said that, um, we get a lot of, uh, a lot of our toxins or toxicity from mums, right. There's mm-hmm. a lot of research now that's coming out about the fact that kids are getting a lot of their good and bad bacteria from, yes. from mothers, so how, how important is that to a child? So a child with SPD or a child with autism or even ADHD. So anyone with like these neurodevelopmental um, disorders. There's a really good chance that a child with a neurodevelopmental disorder and or autoimmune disorder and or, you know, mood behavioral disorder has some level of gut dysbiosis, mm-hmm. um, which just means that there are more um, pathogenic, uh, germs that are in there, you know, germs being bacteria, viruses, parasites, probably a few other kind of protozoa, I guess, right. Um, rather than good ones. And I'm not saying wipe out all the bad ones completely. That's almost hard to do, but you want to have, um, the ability for the body to defend itself and to work against those. Um, just because you have E. coli in your gut doesn't, necessarily mean that it's a bad thing it's it's actually kind of beneficial at very small amounts right so it's all about the quality uh, of what is in there but um, the gut microbiome can be affected like i was alluding to earlier Um, if you've had a mom who's had a c-section she does not pass her flora on to her child vaginally Um, if you had an antibiotic drip, like I did, you know, because I I tested positive for the group B uh, streptococcus bacteria, I was given an antibiotic drip while I was in labor that wiped everything out. Um, and then if you have a child that's not breastfed, you're not getting that good microbiome either. And so you're just not understanding that, you know, by I'm not, you know, a lot of it is unavoidable excuse me, unavoidable. I get that. Right. Um, but there are things that we can do to remediate that. And so there are some doctors who will say that as soon as the baby has been born to, um, to wipe the mother and then to wipe, um, you know, the vaginal, the birth canal or whatever, wipe that onto the baby. And so the, the baby sort of becomes, you know, inoculated, if you want to say with the mother's, uh, 
microbiome, which I know sounds gross, but you know, birth is kind of a messy business. Um, and I think nature or God designed us that way. Right. So I think that's, that's actually a good thing. Yeah. And you know, it's, I think you bring up so many um, good points for parents. It's, it's learning for them, right? It's, it's almost, we're at that point now where we need to empower ourselves with the information mm -hmm. so that we can go more informed. You know, you talked about preparing our bodies before we go into, uh, into mm -hmm. pregnancies, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and just these little things, if we can start taking care of those things, um, we can be better prepared to have to handling our children or to get them better health. And right. then if, if we do start spotting a lot of these soft signs, then we know earlier on what to do and how to take care of that um, exactly. and how to, to look for it. Like you said, there's like a wide range of, um, you know, healing modalities that you can use or, or practitioners that you can seek. Um, mm -hmm. It's just about, you know, educating yourself and starting to, and for people like us to create their awareness, getting parents to know about what's out there for them to help, their kids on that path to, to recovery. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, before we go, can you tell us, um, the listeners where they can reach you, where, um, you know, where can they contact you? Where do you really post a lot of your information? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, for my personal information, you can find my website, which is Maria Rickert, R I C K E R T Hong H O N G.com. Uh, if you wanted to make a consultation appointment, you can do that there. Um, but the bulk of my days these days are spent with Epidemic Answers, which is a 501c3 nonprofit. And I've been with them for almost 11 years now. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It's like we were just a little startup. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do monthly webinars for them. I write the newsletter. I write blog posts. I do a lot of the backend work on the website. Um, I don't do the social media anymore. I'm kind of glad about that. But uh, we have Andy Lasky who does that. So it's just it's just too much work, right, to do all of that. And it's a, it's amazing work because that's where I, I did my my pediatric training. So I know awesome. firsthand it's it's. It's amazing the kind of information, the kind of work that you guys put into all of that is just, it's, you know, it's, it's bar none right now. So that's thank amazing. You. Well, thank you so much. This has been so helpful. I think, I hope listeners can really learn and take away a lot of key messages from here so that they can start to, um, you know, adapt, start implementing that in their, in their lives with their children. So thank you so mm -hmm. much for all of that. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for listening to this podcast and spending your precious time with us at Helping Children Thrive. If you find this podcast helpful, please share it with your family, friends, and others who may benefit. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast on the review section of Apple Podcasts. This will help other parents, caregivers, and professionals find the show more easily. Visit momentasaleemcoaching.com to post comments on today's show or ask any questions about upcoming episodes. And sign up to receive weekly updates. Helping Children Thrive is not a substitute 
for working with a qualified healthcare professional. The information shared here is not intended to diagnose and treat your child. Before implementing anything discussed here on the podcast, make sure to consult your healthcare practitioner. See you all next week.